Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. As 2022 comes to a close, we're taking stock of some of the biggest stories that hit our city. Joining me will be our lead producer, John Notariani. From elections to scandals to much-needed reforms, we're going to be breaking it down and discussing how it's all going to affect us this coming year. It's Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is CityCast Portland. John, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Portland has had quite a year. I feel like this was the year when a lot of quietly simmering pots finally boiled over. Mm-hmm, yeah. For example, the Thorns. For those needing context, in 2015, Thorns players Manishim and Sinead Farley reported to management that then-coach Paul Riley had been sexually harassing them. The local and national soccer organizations then proceeded to cover it all up. So now we have so much fallout. It's been such a slog at certain times trying to keep track of everything that's going on. So dispiriting. But I've personally been really impressed by the fans of the Thorns and the Timbers that I think really kept management's feet to the fire and really kept a lot of attention on this issue and did a lot to drive the conversation and ultimately lead to positive change. It's true. I mean, the fans were so vocal online. They were just basically telling longtime owner Merritt Paulson to sell. Like, you got to go, buddy. And he's just like, hey, guys, I'm hearing you. I'm going to step back. I'm no longer going to be involved in the Thorns business, which is so, it's like, how is an owner no longer going to be involved in the business? Yeah, I, I own this thing, but yeah, it's, it's very Trumpian. It's like, no, no, it's a blind trust, but not really. Yeah. Uh, and I love that everyone was like, no, no, not good enough. So now, this month, he's like, hey, I'm going to put up the thorns for sale, but I'm going to keep the timbers. And everyone knows that like that's his last-ditch effort to hold on to the team because he did build it. He, he's the one who brought the timbers to the MLS. So I can see why it's hard for him to step back. I'm wondering how fans are going to deal with that. Yeah. And I think it's affecting things quickly. I mean, so much so that right after, like, he put he puts up the thorns for sale. And then the coach that has taken the thorns, because, you know, they won this year's cup, the yeah. National Women's Soccer League Cup, which is huge. This is the third time they've done it. And then the coach is gone because it came out that she and a player were texting. I guess they admitted they had feelings for each other. And basically, they're like, girl, you got to go. Yeah. And she resigned, and then they did an immediate investigation. They found nothing wrong. She basically followed all the correct protocol. She went straight to HR. But at the same time, they're just like, we're not going to deal with this shit anymore. We don't care if you're a man, if you're a woman. And so she's gone. And that happened within days. I'm just curious if it's going to continue or if this is just going to be another pot that they're just like, oh, it boiled over, turn it down, let's put it to the back burner and wait for this cycle to happen all over again. You know, like, what do you think, John? 
I do think the reports that have come out were egregious, the things that the Thorns and Timbers management allowed to happen. But I do think it's important not to get too fixated on just the ownership of this company, because this new report came out from the National Women's Soccer League, and it talked about Paul Riley with the Thorns, but it also brought up these issues of harassment and abuse at clubs in New Jersey and Houston and Chicago and Louisville. Like The majority of the clubs in the country were revealed to have similar problems to what the thorns mm-hmm. have been going through. It's true. What about, I mean, thinking about other stories that keep getting bigger? Let's just talk about our houseless issue. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's been such a big issue this year. Nobody's going to be surprised by hearing me say that. Uh, a lot of money going in. Towards the end of last year, Portland and Multnomah County agreed to spend $38 million on a homeless service package. Last month, Wheeler put in another $27 million. And then last week, Multnomah County put in another $33 million. And there's been a lot of initiatives where Wheeler and the council have been kind of taking matters into their own hands in really controversial ways. The big thing was this major vote last month to ban unsanctioned camping in the city and create these giant camps. They're looking at creating six large city-approved camping sites, building 20,000 units of affordable housing, deeply, deeply divided public on it. The only commissioner to vote against one of these resolutions was Joanne Hardesty, who, of course, is no longer on the city council in Portland. She was voted out in November. It kind of feels like the defining, divisive issue of our time here in Portland. I, I found it really interesting that our mayor, who just from the looks of it, he's been sitting on his hands for so long yeah. about so many issues that he's steamrolling this one and in a direction that's so divisive. And this time he actually said, you know what? I don't care what anyone says. I'm just going to go ahead and do this because something needs to get done. And there's a little part of me that's like, good for you. But at the same time, I'm just like, I don't trust you, though. Yeah, it's kind of like, no, that's not what we meant, though. That's not what we meant, Ted. (laughs) I mean, and let's not forget, he campaigned coming into office on a pledge of a shelter bed for every homeless person in the city of Portland, Yeah, which absolutely hasn't happened. A point-in-time survey that happens in the spring found over 5,000 homeless people in Portland. That's 1.2 thousand more than the last time it was done before the pandemic. My God. I mean, this is a really sticky issue, though. Every mayor for at least the last decade has made bold proclamations about trying to end homelessness in the city, and uh, the numbers keep going in the opposite direction. And it makes me wonder if it's not a lack of wanting to do something about it, but the fact that our infrastructure just isn't there to support any of this action. Yeah. And I feel like when you create these policies that are more about throwing money at something without anything there that catches it and makes that money work, the problem keeps getting worse. And I feel like that's what we're seeing. And it's something that we're seeing at cities definitely up and down the West Coast, but really all over the country. I was listening to a podcast by one of our sister cities, CityCast Denver, and they were talking about how Denver was trying to find solutions to homelessness by sending a delegation to Houston because they thought Houston had Hmm. really good ideas. So these Denver city officials get to Houston and they go, oh, we were just trying to do what Denver did 10 years ago. (laughs) So it's like... (laughs) everybody's just chasing their tail on this. And, you know, I do want to put one more point in that I think is really interesting uh, is the infighting that's happening in the region. Because just last week, 
Multnomah County Commission put $33 million in new funding for homeless services. But it doesn't include support for those big campsites that were approved by Portland City Council. So that means that the city and the county are going into 2023 not really agreeing on how to tackle this problem either. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. There, there's no infrastructure to even start focusing on the problem. Mm-hmm. It's an mm-hmm. internal fight of resources. It's an internal fight of direction, of like literally who's got what. Everyone's frustrated. But I feel like the thing that's been boiling over here has just been the lack of mental health services, our lack of like drug and prevention services. And what do you call that? I just said drug and prevention services, John, but I know it's like- Claudia, do you want to talk about the urine drugs? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> 2022 in drugs in Portland. Is that the conversation you want to have? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Are we talking about the shroom house? Did we just like transition so quickly? We're like, yeah, homelessness sucks. But can we talk about how we were selling shrooms for two months and nobody cared? (laughs) And, And everybody was cool with it? This story is just like journalist catnip. Every journalist I know had a solid week in December of just shroom house, shroom house, shroom house. (laughs) Um, If there is somebody out there who missed it, Claudia, can you explain what this was, though? I think the reason why everyone was like losing their minds was because it happened for so long. It's not like anybody broke the story the day it happened. A shop downtown was illegally selling magic mushrooms. And because Measure 110 just passed, people were just like, so we're we're good with this, right? That's what that meant, is yeah. I can just go buy mushrooms. I mean... And it's and, and I do want to clarify, like, it's confusing because there are these two laws. Measure 109, which put in the beginning of setting a regulatory structure to allow therapeutic use of psilocybin, right. the active chemical in magic mushrooms. Then Measure 110, which decriminalized... Uh, possession for small amounts of illicit drugs. And then the shroom house, which is doing something that does not fall (laughs) under either of those laws whatsoever. They're just like, let's go. What I'm hearing is you guys want shrooms. And I love that Portland was like, yes, that is kind of what you're hearing because there were lines around the block. People were just losing their minds. But uh, did you go? I'm just curious. I didn't go. No, I did not go stand in line and get shrooms. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was busy. I was in my office producing the podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's the story you're sticking with. That's my story. That's cool. Okay. What uh, do you think? I mean, do you think, I mean, I know the owner is now arrested, yeah. which is, uh, I don't know. I don't like anyone getting arrested, but do you think this is going to deter other entrepreneurs? <laughs> I think if somebody has the idea of like, I'm going to open a completely illegal business storefront then like he had yeah, to this get might a, deter them. He had um, to get a lease. <laughs> he, <laughs> he got a freaking lease. But on a serious note, like as much as we like are cracking up about the shroom house, I do think it's actually been a really interesting year in terms of psilocybin across the state. Mm-hmm. Because what we forget is that 27 different counties had it on the ballot this year of whether the local municipality would allow the use of therapeutic psilocybin. And 25 of them voted against it. So that means half of the counties across the state are now on the record of saying that they don't want this in their region. So I don't 
necessarily think that this is going to be something that's going to open the doors and let it happen everywhere. I think we might see a lot of pushback. But even there was an expert in the Willamette Week earlier this month that was speculating that this sort of therapy could be covered by insurance in three to five years. I find that fascinating that there is this, you know, tide of just like drugs, drugs are bad, you know, and these other experts being like, actually, your insurance company should be covering it. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it is important to sort of keep perspective on all of this in the view of Measure 110, which was the law that decriminalized possession in Oregon. It took a long time to get the money out the door to organizations that are going to be doing support to try and help people that are a part of this measure. So that is definitely an ongoing fight this year and is going to be a big issue in Oregon next year, too. Well... I'm going to keep an eye out for the next room house. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It became really clear who does and who doesn't have a connect in Portland. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, John, I just love how you turn this into drug elitism, but that's great. You're just like, "Uh, I'm sorry you're not cool enough to know someone and you had to wait in line. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the big, big changes within our city government. Another story, and I've actually been following even before a hit, is the charter reform. John, I'm ecstatic. I'm happy it passed. I know there's so much more work that's going to be done, but I'm hoping this is the first of many wins for a city that just needs an infrastructure rehaul. And I think that all of our issues, all of our problems are somehow connected to this, to this fact that we can't figure out how to be a bigger city than we are. And I feel like we did this in like the most Portland way where like, this is so exciting and such a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Portland already had the wonkiest form of government imaginable. Oh my God, it was like uh, a weak was, mayor, yeah. an at-large council with a commissioner system. So like you get voted in and suddenly you're in charge of the fire bureau. It makes no it sense. It makes no whatsoever. sense. I'm like, I'm sorry, you guys all seem cool, but what do you know anything about policing or the fire department or ODOT? You were voted in because you said pretty things and we're hoping you fulfill them, but you didn't go to school for any of this. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree with you. And like this vote has taken the mayor off of the city council, put him in an administrative role, taken the council members off of the administration of bureaus, which is all great ideas. It's also going to grow the council from five to 12 members, which I think is potentially a good idea. But it's also going to split the city into four different districts that now need to be designed. And it's going to implement a ranked choice voting system. And somehow we have to figure all of that out. And it's just like, (laughs) it's going to be such a mess. (laughs) It's going to come together like it's come together in literally every other bleeping city. (laughs) The fact that we never had districts blows my mind. I just want everyone to understand what that meant. When you voted for someone, you voted for someone who gave zero hex about where you lived. And you, in your neighborhood, couldn't go to someone specifically about issues in your neighborhood. Now that's going to change. To me, Four Quadrants is huge. Come on, let's just talk about the fact that East Portland has the least amount of representation. They're paying just as many taxes. Let's go look at their sidewalks. Oh yeah, they don't have any. I'm excited about 
there being more people in city council actually representing more of us, if that makes sense. I absolutely think that every one of these choices is a positive choice, uh, a, a positive change for the city. But who is appointing that committee? The mayor, Ted Wheeler, gets to choose everybody who is going to redivide the city into political districts. There's just like so many ways that this can go wonky. Right. And I'm worried that like it creates a lot of opportunities for those sort of like behind the scenes shadowy power brokers to kind of get their hands into the political process. I hear what you're saying, especially since like our city hall is known for their transparency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a shit show. But that's what growing up is. I'm sorry, that's, it's a shit show. That's, that's Portland, baby. <laughs> that's a, yeah, it's never fun. But it's going to be good at the end. Hmm. Well, Claudia, if you were going to sum up 2022 in just a phrase, what would you say? Transitions. And they could be painful or they could be exciting. And so 2022 was a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. But I feel like everything bad or annoying that's happened there's just been such a push to fix it. And that's what's exciting to me is there's no apathy in Portland. Yeah, it does feel like things are moving right now Mm -hmm. in a way where maybe five years ago it felt a little bit more comfy but didn't feel quite as much momentum towards creating changes. Hopefully in 2023, we just get it all figured out. It's all done. (laughs) 2023 (laughs) is going to be our year, yeah. Don't worry, guys. It's going to be so much better in 2023. We'll see you then. I mean, but we're smiling, you know? I mean, it's like, oh boy, there's a lot going on. But I I do genuinely think there's a lot to be excited about. Well, thanks so much, John, for taking time out of your busy schedule of slacking me to join me (laughs) on the podcast today. I appreciate you. Thank you, Claudia. This has been fun. And now for your microdose of news. There is no way to sugarcoat this. The weather is about to get really bad, like state of emergency bad. This evening, we'll see snow and freezing rain, and it's expected there could be a ton of ice on the roads, especially in the gorge. If you've got travel plans this evening or on Friday, you really might want to rethink them. This could be the coldest weather Portland has seen in two decades. And on her way out, Governor Kate Brown is leaving behind a more diverse group of state judges. While she was in office, Brown picked 100 new judges, 52 of them being women and 25 being Black, Indigenous, or people of color. She also appointed the first Pacific Islander and Black judge to the Oregon Supreme Court, which is pretty sad to hear that it just now happened. Anyhow, I know a lot of people didn't love Governor Brown, but that's not a bad legacy. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Our lead producer is John Notriani. Our audio producer is Julia Fioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music is by Jenny Conley, Stephen Drizos, and Epidemic Sound. We're taking off a week for the holidays, but we'll be back January 3rd with more from around the city. Happy holidays, and see you then. <laughs>